By your words, you will be justified, and by your words, you will be condemned. What? What is that saying? Based off of this verse, what's the topic of your conversation? It'd be the question I would have. What is the thing that you speak most often about? You know, you can always tell what people love by what they talk most often about. You could tell if somebody's pointing you to the greatest coffee shop in town that that person probably loves coffee or whatever it may be. I think I think God's knocking on our hearts today because there's this weight, this witness, and this worth in what we say and what we talk about. topics of your conversation. In today's message from Pastor Mark, he teaches that there is a weight, witness, and worth to the things you talk about. If you think about it, you can learn a lot about others by listening to what comes out of their mouths. Based off of the words people speak, you can begin to understand what drives them. Consider the topics you talk about and evaluate whether or not they are kingdom-driven. We want our speech to be declaring the goodness of the Lord and what He has done within our lives. Do your words show this? Be mindful of your words, because they carry a lot of weight. Well, let's join Pastor Mark in the book of 2 Samuel chapter 23 for today's edition of Come Alive. 2 Samuel 23. If you notice, probably the first thing thing you read there says, now these are the last words of David. The last words of David. Now these are not his deathbed words, but these are his last public words. And so why is this so significant? Well, when you really think about it, Most people's first words, yours and mine, were pretty much all the same. It sounded something like dada and mama and goo-goo and gaga, if you want to call those words. But those words are all pretty much the same, and they're usually really, really hard for you to discern unless you're the parent. And lots of times we find that these children, they'll talk to us and they're real young and you're just like, I have no clue as to what you're saying. And the mom would be there quickly to translate and interpret for you. And so no one else can interpret those except for that parent. But last words, last words, when you think about it, those are important. It's what's on your heart. It's up front that's most important, your last words. And the last words on our lips are often the worth of our life. So how you die depends on how well you lived or how you lived. So if you lived well, you usually will die well under any circumstance, no matter what happens. I've heard Christians who have said that as they are dying, they were excited and they were smiling and there was a joy because they were going home. They had a place. It was going to be a homecoming. I don't know if any of you have ever been on a trip or been away from home for a long time. I know when I was in Africa, I made made a lot of friends there. I loved a lot of those people. We ministered. I'd seen little kids just miraculously healed by different things. And some of these kids were very close to my heart. But I I could remember uh, the last few days that I was there, I wanted my words to count as I talked to my friends that I would probably never, ever see again until Facebook came along, but never, ever would see in person again. And one of the things that was so exciting about it, it was I was giving away my clothing. 
I was giving away the clothes that I brought because some of these guys didn't have anything. And so it didn't matter. But I was so excited to get home. It didn't matter how long the bus trip was that day. I was excited to come home. And then when I got home, I got back to Albuquerque. I flew into Albuquerque. And that wasn't the end of my journey. Home was where my girlfriend, my fiance was. And Jess had gone to Dallas to nanny for some friends of ours. And so Though I was in Albuquerque, New Mexico, that was still 12 to 14 hours away, I landed that evening. I was sick. I had parasites that I'd picked up when I was in Africa. I was very weak. I went to my uncle's house. I stayed overnight. I ate. I was sick in the morning. And I remember I I had this Jeep, a blue Jeep. I still have it. It had no air conditioning, and it had a hard top on it. And I loaded everything I owned, which fit in a duffel bag and a pillow, and loaded it all up in the truck and my Jeep. And I drove north to Taos, New Mexico to visit my great aunt. And I thought I was going to be leaving Albuquerque, and that was the last time I was going to see her for a while unless I came back on vacation. And as I drove up there, I stayed overnight and was sick even more. And she was like, Hito, why aren't you eating? You look so skinny. And I was like, I just can't. I don't know what's going on. But I remember that next morning I woke up, and I had a long journey through the mountains and through Texas to get to Dallas, but it didn't matter. I, didn't have, I, didn't, I brought two bottles of water and an apple with me, and I wasn't stopping until I saw my fiance, until I got home to Jesse, to my friend's house anyway, and I, that was the first place I went, and she was, it was still two hours or an hour and a half away from where my mom lived because we weren't married, so I wasn't going to stay there. So I got there, and I, 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 I visited with her. But I remember no matter how hard that trip was, how hot the Jeep was, I was so excited to go. And so those last words and those things are, you know, how well you live. And, and no matter what kind of circumstance, you're so excited. And so that death experience is a homecoming. You're excited. A lot of Christians are excited to go home. And David Hume, he's a Scottish philosopher. He's an atheist. And when he was dying, his parting words were, I am in the flames and they are already consuming me. Even Gandhi, who people still look to and follow still to this day, said in his last days, I'm in my last days, they're numbered. For the first time in 50 years, I'm in the slough of despond. Darkness is all around me and I can't see any light. Those are pretty sad words when you think about it from a religious leader at any point but he wasn't seeing anything of God at that. And my favorite last words are the seven statements of Jesus Christ. The very first one was, Father, forgive them. And all the way to the very end when he said, it is finished, into your hands I commit my spirit. And as Christians, that is what we should do, is commit our spirit, commit our souls, commit our lives to Jesus Christ. Look with me at verse 1 in 2 Samuel 23. It says, now these are the last words of David. Thus says David, the son of Jesse. Thus says the man raised up on high, the anointed of the God of Jacob and the sweet psalmist of Israel. And so here, David is an amazing guy. He is a singer and a songwriter, so to speak. I love the way that he writes and the thoughts that he has towards God are really cool. It's pretty awesome when you see this, but I like that he has this amazing way of expressing them. And when you really think about it, if you've ever known a person who is a musician or musically inclined or artistically gifted. They're a little different. They dress a little different. They think a little different. They're just a little different. But when you look at David, because, you know, when you think about that artist, that musically inclined person, you look at some bands and you see these guys and you're like, man, those guys are great musicians, rock on, that's fun. But you would never see some of those guys as the warrior that's going out and killing people. So David is kind of like a cross, if I had to say, as a combination between like 
Mumford and Sons and William Wallace from Braveheart. And so I think it's a great blend. And he penned close to half of the Psalms. And if you look back at verse 1, it says, Thus says David, the son of Jesse. Thus says the man raised up on high, the anointed of the God of Jacob, the sweet psalmist of Israel. David acknowledges that he was a, well, that he was a nobody. He was a peasant farmer. If you remember when David, he's out in the field watching the sheep and his brothers are all lined up and and the prophet's there looking for the man God's going to choose to be the next king of Israel. And they're like, he's like, do you have anyone else? And they're kind of like, no, not really. Well, we got one dude. He's just like this little scrawny kid red-headed, kind of ruddy-looking, and he's out there with the sheep. And so that'd be David. He's like, well, bring him. Let's take a look at him. He's like, that's it. That's the guy. And everybody's like, that's the guy? That's the leader? That's going to be the next king of Israel? So he's raised up. So David says, you know, hey, it's not by myself. It's not by my ingenuity. It's not by my education. It's not by anything that he accomplished personally, but he was raised up and he was anointed by God the God of Israel. He went from a peasant to a a royal leader. It's a rags to riches story. It's kind of like our story as Christians when you think about it. God had gifted us and grafted us in, and now we're of royalty. Peter tells us we're of the royal priesthood. Like David, we need to acknowledge that God did this. He saved you. He saved me. We're saved. Saved from what? Well, from his wrath, from his judgment, because he's a just God he will punish those who do the wrong thing, but he allowed his son Jesus to go in our place. And so he brought me into this beautiful place. He grafts us in. He adopts us. So we have a place of privilege. If you're taking notes, you can write that down. A place of privilege is what you and I have. See, we should never forget that you and I, me and you, are sons and daughters of God. And so we can go in the name of God and be filled and have confidence, but Well, what we don't need to do is trash the name. Don't trash the name of God. Um, God has, you know, when you think about it, we're all kids of the king. And it's been said that God has no grandchildren. Do you know that? God doesn't have any grandchildren. They're all his children. There's all a decision of adoption made. He says, hey, it's open to all who who willfully want to do this. And so there's no grandchildren. There's none at all. But not just anyone gets that privilege. The Bible tells us that you must be born again. There's a process that must be taking place. We need to ask for forgiveness of sins. We need to be reborn in a sense. And what that means is that we're willing to accept that Jesus Christ is our Lord and Savior, that he's our leader, he's our guide, that we will fall under his authority and we will do what his word says and do it in obedience. Now, is there anyone perfect here? No, not one. Oh, we'll all blow it. We'll all mess up. But God says, hey, you know what? That's real easy. If you just repent, turn away from it, walk away from that thing that you've done, then, hey, I'll forgive you. And as long as we don't go back and willfully make the same mistake over and over again, then we need to be serious about it. And so if you're then grafted in and and born again, then you're an heir, an heir. And what that means is the inheritance of your father, according to the Hebrew scriptures, is ours as well. That's what the Jews had such a hard time with Jesus' message with. Is like They didn't get that he was going to go to the Gentile. They didn't get Paul's message either. And so there's a poem that says, You are writing the gospel each day by things that you do and the things that you say. People hear and see what you say. They see what you do. So what's the gospel according to you? 
Oh, what do you, when you're living out your life every day, what do people see? Do they see the gospel of Jesus Christ or do they see the gospel according to me? I could say Mark, but that would be a book in the Bible. But do they see that according to me? Do they see my version of it? And it cannot be my version. It cannot be left up to me to interpret it to be, oh, well, this is what I think it says and means, because if that's the case, then this guy over here can say, well, that's, that's the way I interpret it to say and mean. That's what I think it says and means. And if it's different, then we have a problem. There's one interpretation, many different applications. And so there's one interpretation. It needs to be one way. If Jesus says you must be born again, that doesn't mean like, oh, well, you can make up your own way and I can make up my own way. It means we, we need to do it the right way. And there's, there's ways to see that. And he gives us instructions on how to do that. When we say I'm a Christian, essentially you're saying I follow Christ, the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords. And as their eyes are upon you, what do they see? You need to be careful with the royal name which you were given. So with our words, there's weight, there's witness, and there's worth. Weight, witness, and worth. If you want to take notes, you can write that down. And you can also write Matthew 12. Turn there with me. We're going to the New Testament, the book of Matthew, chapter 12. And we're going to pick up in verse 34. Matthew 12, verse 34. Verse 34 says, Brood of vipers... How can you, being evil, speak good things? For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. A good man out of the good treasure of his heart brings forth good things. And an evil man out of the evil treasure brings forth evil things. But I say to you that for every idle word men may speak, they will give account of it on the day of judgment. For by your words you will be justified, and by your words you will be condemned. What? What is that saying? Based off of this verse... What's the topic of your conversation is be the question I would have. What is the thing that you speak most often about? You know, you can always tell what people love by what they talk most often about. You could tell if somebody's pointing you to the greatest coffee shop in town that that person probably loves coffee or whatever it may be. I think, I think God's knocking on our hearts today because there's this weight, this witness, and this worth in what we say and what we talk about. I, I think oftentimes that when we're in the workplace or we're hanging out with our neighbors or we're hanging out with our friends, we're, we're often like, well, you know, I, I'd love to talk to them about my Christianity and about my relationship because I don't want to tell people, well, I have religion because I don't. It's not religious what we do here. It's a relationship. I mean, you think about it. A relationship is what? You got two people. And how's that relationship start? Well, with some conversation. And we call that prayer. And then, well, how does God talk back to us? Well, he wrote a whole book. Remember we said, I said last week, 800,000 words. It's a little short of that. It's like 780,000 or something like that. But we got a bunch of words here. And God says, here's a love letter. And not only that, that little inkling, that little still small voice sometimes you hear, that little, hey, that's the wrong thing to do. He speaks back to us. And so we can have a conversation. Now, some people might be like, look, there's a crazy guy just talking to himself in a car or a truck. And that's cool. I'm talking to God. I'm not talking to myself. I have no power to change anything that I do or say. I can make choices to go left or right, uh, but there's things that I cannot change. And so I think God's knocking on our hearts today because there is a weight witness and a worth to our words. Look at verse 2. It says, the Spirit of the Lord spoke by me, and his word was on my tongue. The God of Israel said, the rock of all Israel spoke to me. He who rules over men must be just, ruling in the fear of God. And he shall be like the light of the morning when the sun rises, a morning without clouds like the tender grass springing out of the earth by clear shining after rain. 
Although my house is not so with God, yet he has made with me an everlasting covenant, ordered in all things and secure. For this is my salvation and all my desire. Will he not make it increase? But the sons of rebellion shall all be as thorns thrust away, because they cannot be taken with hands. But the man who touches them must be armed with iron in the shaft of a spear, and they shall be utterly burned with fire in their place. That's Second Samuel chapter 23. So we're back there. David is, is here proclaiming a prophetic utterance. It's a prophetic utterance. He's saying, what I am writing here is not personal inspiration. It's not what I personally feel, but it's a divine inspiration. He, he wasn't considered a prophet like Isaiah or Jeremiah or Micah, but he did speak prophetically. Here and in the Psalms, God had used him to pen scripture. So we see that David declares that he's speaking of substance and with substance. If your heart has been touched, given over to Jesus Christ, then your mouth has now been given over for, well, for ministry. Oh, what you say will be a service to others. If you're a Christian, we should be able to uplift people and say nice, kind things, but not always nice, kind things, because if somebody's doing something wrong, well, sometimes we might say, hey, that's not cool. We might have to exhort them. I mean, think about it as a parent. If you always said nice, kind things to your kid, he's over there poking the eye out of the other kid, and you're like, oh, man, you know, it's a beautiful day, and I really love you. and just It doesn't make sense. Injury happens. Uh, we all want people to treat us kindly and be nice to us, but the deal is that sometimes oh, we need a talking to. We need somebody to say, hey, bro, that's not cool. Stop that. And sometimes we don't need to yell and shout and scream, but to just be firm and stern. And so we see that David declares he's speaking with substance. David says, God, you, you've given me something to say that has such great substance that, that he had used it to write the Psalms. And there are those times when you just have to ask God to give you the words. And from time to time, I'm up here. And before I get up here, I'm like walking. I was saying that this morning. I was like, I walk from that, those steps after I get mic'd up uh, over here. And the whole time, I'm like, oh, Holy Spirit, I need you. I need you. You speak. You talk. Don't let me get in the way because please just do it. Just do it. And so I get up here. And most Sundays, I hear, man, it was like you were speaking right at me, Pastor Mark. It was like you were talking right to me. Man, that was amazing. How'd you know? I was like, I didn't know. I wasn't talking to you. I was talking to you, all of you, not just one. But, but often I hear that. And sometimes the Lord says, hey, you know what? Don't look down at those notes. Say what I'm about to tell you. And I do. I'm just like, all right, cool. I have no idea what's going to happen next. And so I say it. And, and the Lord works. It's not me. But if I'm connected, if I'm tethered to Christ, then I, I have that wireless communication, so to speak. I, I don't need to have a, a literal cord going to heaven. I can just listen. I need to be silent. I, I need to be still. I need to pray. And the, even like while I'm up here talking now, in the back of my head, I'm like, Lord God, please speak. Just speak to whoever it is that needs to hear what you need to say. And so there are too many words in this world that are void and that are empty. Way too many that are void and empty. But if you're connected to Christ and you have your heart open and you look around and you see that person in need, just kind of like we saw in the video, you see that person in need and you're open to having a Bible verse ready or doing something kind to give them some hope because there are people all around us that are really bummed out, that life just stinks for them. And guess what? You have a remedy. You guys are like doctors. You guys are like pharmacists. You Hopefully, you're not real pharmacists on the street, but you're like those guys. You have a remedy for them. You're like, hey, you know what? I, I know what's ailing you. I know I got the cure. Hey, a, a smile. 
sometimes we'll do it. A Bible verse. Maybe the Lord says, hey, I want you to have some quiet time. You're like, man, I don't understand why I'm reading this. It doesn't really pertain to me. I mean, I don't get it. And then later on in the day, you walk up to somebody and they're talking. You're like, hey, let me just share this. And you're, you're amazed because you're like, no way. That was like what I was reading about this morning. And you give them a verse. Yesterday, we were hanging out with uh, Holland Davis. I don't know if you guys know him, but he wrote a, a song called Let It Rise. And he's a friend of mine. And one of the things, how I kind of first met him, I was in, in California a couple years ago, and I was sitting at a pastor's conference, and he was behind me. And they said, hey, are you pastors? And, you know, get in a group of like four to five people and just turn around and just start praying for each other. And so I turn around, and there's Holland Davis. I didn't know who he was. He just looked like some regular normal guy, and this other guy sitting next to him. And they are like, hey, will you be in our group? I said, sure. And so it was me and this other friend of mine, and he, he was a giant, literally, and we just turned around, and these guys started praying. As, as Holland started praying, he goes, I'll pray for you. I said, all right. I didn't tell him anything, not even my name. And as he starts to pray, he starts to pray things that I'm dealing with and struggling with, and I've got doubt about, and things about the church, and different things. And I mean, it was like he knew almost exactly, like the Lord had given him exact numbers of people that went here and things that were going on here. And I'm like sitting there as he's praying, and I open my eyes, and I'm looking at him like, did he steal something out of my notebook, out of my backpack? How's he got this information? And he just kept praying. It was just so long. And I remember I was just like, man, I'm about to cry. I don't, Lord, you love me. Thank you. And I just needed that. I needed to know that God was still there, that he still cared. He used a, a natural person a, a, to do a supernatural thing in my life. And when we were done praying, I just stood up and I looked at him. I'm like, you don't even know what happened. And he just smiled. He goes, I know. And he hugged me. And I, I didn't see him anymore after that. The next year I walked by him and I'm like, hey, and he goes, so how's it working out? He remembered me. And I'm like, yeah, man, that, that's got to be the Lord. And so we've been friends since then. And so just talking to him, and one of the things he said, he said, yesterday it was an amazing message that he spoke. He said, you know, when he was young, he was serving God. He wrote this song, doing all this stuff, and he'd wake up every morning, Lord, how can I serve you today? And he wept when he told this story. He said he heard from God. He heard God say, you're fired. You're fired. You're no longer my servant. You're fired. And he was weeping. He's like, Lord, what do you mean I'm fired? I just want to serve you. I just want to do these things. He's like, you're fired. You're fired, Holland. He's like, Lord, what do I do? What do I need to do to fix this? I don't want to be fired. He's like, you're no longer my servant. And he took him to a verse and it says where it says we're friends of God. God doesn't want just servant. He doesn't, it really, does God need a servant? He created the world. And he hung the stars and all these things. And you see all that crazy stuff out there in the galaxies. God does all these awesome things, and it's like, really? I want to be your servant? That's like my son saying, Dad, I want to be your servant. I understand what he's saying, and God understands what Holland was saying and what we say when we say that, and not that it's wrong to say that, but he's like, hey, you're my sons and daughters. You're grafted in. We're so glad you tuned in today to Pastor Mark's teaching here on Come Alive. Pastor Mark has been walking us through the Bible verse by verse, chapter by chapter, unlocking the blessings, truth, and love found within its verses. We know that reading God's Word can be difficult to squeeze into your schedule sometimes, so having something to listen to instead can help. With that in mind, we'd like to let you know about our Come Alive podcast. We've made Pastor Mark's messages available to you for free so that you can take them with you on the go, making hearing the Word so much more convenient. Search for Come Alive on iTunes or on Google Play and subscribe to have a notification sent to you as soon as we post new editions. Thanks again for tuning in today to Come Alive. 
If you'd like to learn more about this ministry and the church behind it, please visit us online at comealiveradio.com. If you're living in or near Katy, Texas, we'd also like to invite you to come see us in person at Calvary Chapel Katy. We're a laid-back group of Jesus followers, and we love inviting new people to come join us in seeking the Father and praising His name. Find service times and directions to our church when you visit our website, comealiveradio.com. That's all we have time for today. We pray you continue to find Jesus through His Word and in everything you do. Join us next time for another in-depth look at the Bible, right here on Come Alive.